I saw this quote, and not really sure if Elon Musk actually said this, but it went something along the lines of, take your 10-year goal and now figure out how to do that in six months. Obviously, if you look at that and, you know, through a logical perspective, you're like, there's no way. But um, I did try that in one aspect of my life. Real quick, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. My goal is to share the lessons of these interviews with as many people as possible, and the show only grows if more people find out about it. So if you could just do me a quick, quick favor and think about how you found this episode and make sure to return the favor by telling someone else about it, sharing it, whatever that looks like, I would appreciate it so, so much because that can help me keep growing the show. And if you've gotten any value out of the podcast, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I do interviews like this every week with new and exciting professionals. So stay tuned to keep your career moving in the direction you want. Thanks, and let's get into this week's episode. Explain maybe what Surfing the Gap is first, and then how you started it, and like the background behind it. Okay, yeah. Surfing the Gap is a nonprofit that I created, and we really focus on giving free surf lessons to kids and teens with special needs or neurodiversities, just because they learn in a different way, not necessarily better or worse, but just different than someone who's neurotypical. So we wanna make an environment that's really encouraging them to go try something new like surfing that might seem intimidating at first and just give it a shot. And most of them seem to really love it. And some of them even continue surfing afterwards. That's awesome. It's a very kind of unique thing. So I'm guessing you started out with a surfing background that kind of made you feel qualified to be able to teach it. How did you get into surfing first and what led you to want to take it to this level and and kind of create a whole event like that out of it? Right. So um, I'm from the Cocoa Beach area. So a lot of people surf over there. And back in elementary school, I had a friend and she was like, let's go surfing after school or after swim practice or whatever it was. So we went, we went surfing. I wasn't a super big fan of it at first. I was just kind of tired. I was like, all right, I'm out. But then I got a little discouraged and I was like, you know, I need to stand up once at least before we go. So I went and I stood up. And if you talk to anyone who surfs, they'll be like that first wave that you catch, you get something called the surfing bug. And then after that, it's just like, okay, wow, you have the adrenaline like pushing, you just like crave the next wave. And so after that, I was hooked and I started surfing maybe sixth grade. And then around when I was 16 in high school, I was like, okay, this is something I really like to do. And then COVID was like kind of starting to hit, but everything wasn't shut down yet. So I was like, hmm, maybe I can be a surf instructor. So I was 16 and I went on Office Depot's website, made these little business cards. They weren't great (laughs) or anything, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to go try to like go on the beach, see some families if they have some kids who look about surfing age and, you know, go up to talk to them, hand them my business card and like just try to be a surf instructor like that. So um, I went to the beach and I started doing that. And I met this lady there and she was actually teaching surf lessons. She was based in Orlando, but she taught in New Smyrna to Cocoa Beach. Um, Her name's Molly Miller and she's actually one of my biggest mentors. And so she saw me and she was like, hey, you surf? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I'm actually looking for some surf instructors. So I didn't have to go really start my own business that way, you know, but it kind of brought me that amazing opportunity to work with her. So. I started doing surf camps with her and we'd have somewhere between the 30 kids um, each surf camp. And I saw that in a big group, some of the kids were just like getting it right away. They didn't need too much instruction or anything like that. But then there were some kids who maybe had some neurodiversities 
And, you know, in a group setting, they just weren't getting, like, the attention that they needed. So sometimes me and Molly would take them during the lunch break when all the kids were kind of taking a rest. And we would work with them one-on-one and give them that individualized um, attention that they need. And just, you know, talk to them maybe a little bit differently, be more encouraging, and just meet them where they were at, especially with surfing and how comfortable they were in the water. A little bit more personalized care. Right. And so I saw it was really easy for me after a while because I worked with her doing surf camps and private lessons and everything like that for a few years. And I saw, okay, there's definitely some kids who learn a bit differently than a majority of the kids. And I was like, how about if we could create an event that gives the opportunity for these kids to um, learn with other people who think similarly to them and give them the individualized attention that they need to help them succeed in surfing. And so that's where the idea came from. Yeah. So it kind of just happened naturally. It sounds like you just kind of saw this need. And we were talking a little bit off air about how it happened really quickly. So you kind of, you explained how you had this idea. Talk a little bit about how the first one came together from like point A to point B, point A being just thinking of the idea, recognizing maybe the need for it, point B being like throwing the first event. Right. So um, I kind of like knew that there would probably be a need for these kids to work with people um, who understood their needs and how they learn differently. But I didn't have the idea to create a full-on event or anything like that until it was my senior year of high school. And at our high school, we have a senior project. It's a little bit dreaded. It's a lot of work. No one really likes it too much. And so I was thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to have to do something so I can graduate, right? And I was I was planning on just doing the bare minimum. But then I thought of this idea, and I was like, hmm, maybe we can work with this. Like, maybe we can do something with it. And I can't really half-ass things. Like, I yeah. have to just, like, go, like, full time <laughs> with it. <laughs> so, um I brought this idea in and some people were like, yeah, that's really good. Some people were like, no, that's a really terrible idea. You probably shouldn't do that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to try for it anyways. Let's see how it goes. Maybe just do one event, just one event. That's it. What were the biggest hangups that people had with it? Because you said people thought it, there was some people that thought it wasn't a great idea. What were some of the challenges that people expected you to come into? Um, Well, it was one of the advisors at the school, I guess, or one of like the teachers for the project. Um, Some of them were really supportive of it, but some of them just had some concerns. And I know that they were coming from a good place with them, but they were just kind of like, well, you don't really know anything that goes on behind the scenes. Like, for example, getting liability waivers, which I didn't know anything about, to Mm -hmm. be fair, um, and all that stuff. So it was just kind of like a very big task to tackle for something like a senior project that's meant to be more on like a small scale. So that was the only like kind of conflict I had with that. But I decided to just go for it anyways. And um, like like I mentioned before, Molly Miller, she was my mentor and she was able to guide me really, you know, with things like waivers and photo release forms and just a lot of the behind the scenes things like getting insurance policies that you won't really think about, you know, when you go to events, all that the behind the scenes work that really takes the time. So. In business in general, there's a lot of that, right? There's unexpected things that come up that you have to kind of figure out as you go. What was it, do you think, for you that that just allowed you to kind of get into it without, was it kind of just not expecting that and you felt like everything would be okay? Like, what what was your mindset at when you got into it and just went for it without looking into it before? Because you kind of have to do that in business. Right. Um... 
Well, you know, I was a teenager. We've all been teenagers before, right? And, you know, you make some decisions without fully thinking <laughs> them through. Just luckily, this decision that I made happened to be a good one. But I think teenagers just kind of have this, like, Superman mentality. Yeah. And they're like, like I'm, I'm invincible. I'm just going to go for it. And so that's kind of how the way I am with my goals. Um, now that I'm a little bit older, I'll think things through a yeah. little bit more before I make a big decision. But I was just like really hyped up on this idea and the few people that I had that were like all the way behind me with it, you know, they were just giving me enough hype that it kind of just like blocked out the noise from anyone's like, hey, do you really know what you're doing? And I was like, if anything, we're just going to give a good event for these kids and just give back to the community. And I was, again, only planning on doing this like that for that one time, that one year. I wasn't planning on making it a big thing from like one event to like doing multiple years of it now. So I have to guess that you put on the one and it had some kind of success that made you want to continue doing it. Talk about that first one. Yeah. So the first one was a little bit small. It was, um, we had maybe like 20 kids participating and then over 30 volunteers came out and a lot of them were my friends from high school who were also doing senior projects and we, you know, you kind of support each other's senior project. Um, and a lot of the people I knew from the surfing community. And so we did that first one and it was a blast. So, you know, of course, going up to it, leading up, I had like three weeks from the idea when I went in and I was like, I'm going to do this to the date that I planned because it was in mid Which is wild, by the way. <laughs> three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't sleep much in finding sponsors during yeah. that three weeks. It was it was crazy. But um, I threw that first event and it went way better than I thought it was going to go. Everyone just had a big blast. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I felt like I did my part, gave back to the community, and I was going to be done with it after the first year. But then I started getting emails from parents afterwards or DMs on Instagram. And they were like, thank you so much for putting on this event. You know, my kid never really got out of their shell a lot. And now they're asking me to buy them a surfboard. And I couldn't even get them to go to the beach before. Or wow. Like, I've never seen my kids smile this much. And then even some of the people that I knew um, who have some neurodiversities but who are adults who came out and wanted to be part of the event, they were just like, this was an awesome event. You're doing so much for these kids. And I just got a lot of really good feedback for it. And, you know, try like saying no to a kid who's just like smiling. Yeah. They're just like, you know, they want to go out. They want to catch more waves. And like I said before, when I learned how to surf, getting that surfing bug, like I know what it feels like. And you just want to go out there and you want to surf more. So after that, I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this every year now. And then I kind of just fell in love with through, like throwing it every year. And so it doesn't seem like as much of a hassle anymore. And I have like a whole year to plan out an event now instead of three weeks. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sure it's growing every year, but you've done it before now. So every time it comes up, it's like, you know, the different hurdles that you have to jump through, right. you know how to set it up and everything. It probably gets a little easier every year. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about what the event looks like from start to finish just how that event runs and kind of what goes on during it like the process leading up or the actual event i guess both okay so the process leading up like every year i try to make a timeline for myself and be like okay this is what needs to happen before we go into this so for example i need to make sure i have like a one day million dollar insurance policy before i go to the city of cocoa beach and ask for an event permit so just things like that, you know, but um, a big part of that comes with just experience. So, you know, as you throw the event more times, you know, okay, this insurance company will give me a good price and will cover the amount of people that are in my event. 
And then just reaching out to people too for like liability waivers, photo release forms, stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of emails going up to it, obviously a lot of behind the scenes coordinating. And then when it's event day, I have to thank so much like my family and the volunteers because that day it is just stressful and especially like leading up to it before anyone gets there. Once everyone gets there, it kind of, you know, you're in the vibe, you're in the moment, it's good. But, you know, you get there at the beach when the sun's rising and everyone's like hauling these um, canopy tents and all these like giant foam surfboards up the beach. I have my friends, some of my brother's friends, my cousins, everyone comes out and they help. And I just am so thankful for them and that whole community support. And so we spend several hours getting everything set up, getting tables set up, T-shirts laid out, the check-in list ready. And then the kids start coming in and we get the music going. And then the kids are there. They're socializing. We have some games set up for them and some volunteers we have there just to make sure the kids are getting involved because some of them are more reserved, you know, course, or maybe yeah. they're like scared because it's a new event. It's their first year. So we have some volunteers that will kind of like get them out and like maybe introduce them to some other kids or be like, hey, are you super pumped for surfing? You know, you just have to bring the energy yeah. to these things and the kids are going to follow whatever energy you're giving off. Um, so then, you know, people start coming and then maybe about like 30 minutes after our start time, because we want to get as many people there as we can, we start um, like with a group stretching. And the group stretching, I think, is really what kicks it all off because we usually have um, someone lead it. And he was actually the former longboard Special Olympics champion. And he is just so enthusiastic about surfing. I think he's the highlight of the event. Um, one of my favorite volunteers. So he starts with the group stretching. Everyone's in a big circle when he's leading that. And then it's time to get into the water. And some for some kids, they were just like dying to get in the water the whole time. They were trying to like steal the surfboards to go before <laughs> the event even starts. So those kids are like off and running. And um, sometimes they don't even want an instructor. Sometimes some of the kids will be like, hey, I want to help this kid. And they're like buddies. And that's awesome to see those friendships being built. And then you get some kids who are a little bit scared, which is totally understandable. Surfing something, you know, there's waves, there's water. Some kids are scared of like sea life. So and then maybe we, especially if it's their first year. Right. And, you know, the surfboards are big, too, and some of these kids are tiny. So that's when we have – luckily, we have so many volunteers that we can have one-on-one -on -one attention with these kids if they need it. That's and major. so we have them go out with the instructor. The instructor kind of gives them a land lesson if they need on how to pop up, how to use the board, all that. And then we send them into the water, and we try to get them on a little tiny wave at first because all they need is just one little wave. It doesn't have to be a giant monster wave, nothing like that. And we get them super stoked and excited. And even the kids who are kind of like reluctant to go out at first, they catch one wave and they're like, next thing you know, it's like three hours have gone by and they have not gone out of the water. And like the event's ending, that everyone's packing up and this kid is still like, I want to go back out, I want to <laughs> surf. They're like coming out asking their parents for a surfboard for their birthday. And that's a really nice thing to see. That is awesome. So for a few things come to mind here. One, I think uh, the fact that you're able to give the one-on-one -on -one attention is major. And it, I think it just goes to show how good of an idea it was in the first place that you are able to get that many volunteers. I mean, it's easy to get people to buy in to helping out with something if it's a great idea. How has the event kind of grown over the couple of years that you've done it? Um, I would say like the first year, you know, it was mostly my closer friends and family that came out to volunteer. And then I knew some people from the surfing community that I just met surfing, you know, for the few years that I've surfed following up the, to the event. 
But um, when I decided to do it for a second year, I had time to actually like network with people. And I was thinking, okay, you know, I need some money for this event. I started to go fund me. And then I was thinking like, you know, the kids, like last time some sponsors sent like little goodies and the kids get really hyped about little things. So I was like, all right, let's see if we can get some more things for that. So I actually went on Instagram and I DM'd hundreds of companies wow yeah and some of them were even like the verified ones i was like there's no way they're getting back to me and um to my surprise a lot of them did i mean a lot of them never even opened the message but a lot of them did and they were like wow that's like a really great idea that you have we would love to send some stuff over and then i got some emails from those dms and was able to email people so there's some companies where i like met the people who founded them um and then in addition to that too, there's a lot of local businesses. And so, especially the first year when I had a, like more of a time crunch, I just went in and I wrote my story basically um, and printed it out. And then I wrote like my mission for what this nonprofit was gonna do and how we would help the kids in our community and put them in manila envelopes with some um, pictures from the event and everything like that. And I went door to door to local wow. businesses in Cocoa Beach. I parked my car and I would walk like half a mile just going in the door and I'd be like, hi, is the manager here or anything like that? And if they weren't, I would leave it for them and ask them to hand it to them. And if they were, I would have a minute to just um, talk to the manager or whoever was in charge of that business and tell them my story and tell them what I was trying to do and how it would impact our community. Most of them are like really for it. Like there's a lot of people who want to give back. So yeah, I mean, again, it's a great idea. It's I think if you have such a great idea, it's it's easy to get people to buy in. And I think it's great to start locally like that with something. So, I mean, it, it sounds like kind of a combination of local and non-local businesses. Definitely. What does the typical involvement from a business look like? I know you mentioned sponsorships at one point, but it sounds like it might be a combination of different types of things. Yeah, so there is some local businesses Well, I mean, some of them are local, like in Cocoa Beach, and some of them were from like Jacksonville. But there was a few that wanted to come out and set up a tent at the event, you know, and just be a part of it like that. And some of them even gave free stuff to the kids from their tent, which is crazy generous. But um, so like some of those were Right Coast Apparel, Flow Flops, stuff like that. And so those local businesses, they would give some items for the kids, and then some of them would come out to the event. And then as far as the businesses that are, you know, international or national businesses, they would mostly send stuff, obviously, because they're very busy. Like, they, they don't have a lot of time for these smaller things, but they still wanted to give back, and which I was really appreciated of. So it's like, I guess it kind of varies on, you know, where they're based and how big they are. But from the local companies, it was a really nice kind of partnership because they would help me with my nonprofit, and then I would sometimes help them, like, working events, you know, at surf competitions for them or, like, doing some modeling or something like that. Very cool. Okay. So just like a combination of different things. It looks different, a little different for every business, whatever works for them. What are the different ways that you see this growing over the next couple of years now that you've kind of cemented the fact that it will be like a a thing that happens every year? Right. So one of the things that I'm helping to like grow it is reaching out to more people, not just businesses to help sponsor and get more money because you obviously need funds to grow, but also to um, different organizations that already work with kids with special needs or in all diversities just to, you know, introduce more kids to surfing because that's honestly at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to get out of this. You're trying to get as many of these kids who maybe would have not gotten out of their shell to try something new and hopefully they like it and want to stick with it and it has a positive impact in their life. But um, really getting organized too because I noticed going from um, one year to the second year, the third year, now I'm planning the fourth year event. 
um, having things like spreadsheets, even the smallest things, spreadsheets with all of your contacts in them so from participants, volunteers, sponsors, anyone in your network for the event, having their name, your relation to them, how you knew them, um, what they contributed before, and their phone number, email, any other information about that having those in a spreadsheet because that way you're not like thinking and you're not back to square one when you try to throw the next event you can just you know pop open your spreadsheet and there you go there's your contacts you start making calls you start doing your emails meeting in person whatever it takes on the note of organization we had talked a little bit off air about time management as well what are the challenges you had with time management when you first got into this and how have you improved on that Right. So when I first started this, I was in high school. So, you know, I had sports going on. I was taking night classes to become a CNA, add my classes, volunteering, all this other stuff. So when you really have to do when you're trying to start something like a side hustle, even if it's not a nonprofit, if it's like a side hustle business or a side hustle nonprofit, you have to just find those tiny little chunks of time wherever you can and utilize them. And if you're thinking, like, I don't have any time in my day, like, just go on your phone app, you know, and you can see, like, how much time you spend on TikTok. That was the biggest time waster for me. As soon as I decided that I wanted to do this nonprofit thing, I had to delete TikTok, at least for that time <laughs> being, until the event, because that's something, you know, you can go on it and waste a bunch of time, when in reality, It's I hard found, to avoid, too, right? Yeah, it like is. Like, if you have it on your phone. It is, because you're like, all right, I just need a break, you know, or I've got to work 15 minutes early, I'm in my car, let me just go on TikTok. But what I found I had to do was just utilize any minutes that I could. So I would go in for a night shift at the hospital, get there 15 minutes early, and I would just make, like, a quick business call, you know, from mm -hmm. one of the sponsors that I meant to call back. Um, or, you know, I'd be in the lab and, you know, waiting for something to incubate and I'm like, okay, I have 30 minutes and what am I going to do now? I was going to go on my phone and just like, you know, go on social media, but I was like, um, let me just go and like call these sponsors that seemed like they might've been interested. And so there was one time I had a 30 minute break and in it, I got $400 like for sponsorship, which is like a lot for a small nonprofit, yeah. you know? And then I also got two more participants from like emailing back the parents who had concerns about it or questions yeah. and um, also a few more volunteers. And I was like, wow, that was the most productive 30 minutes that I had. And I was just going to go on my phone and like, you know, goof off. But I was like, all right, you know, time is money. Like <laughs> you have to make the most of it. Yeah. It's the power of being intentional with your time, I guess. I mean, just understanding what your priorities are and making sure that you eliminate distractions, it sounds like. Yeah, just, you know, finding those little pockets of time because everyone has things that they're doing. Everyone has like a job or school or, you know, like like family commitments, relationships. And it's really important that you know your priorities in life. And a lot of times if you're doing something on the side, it's going to usually take the back burner. But the important thing is to just finding those little pockets of time when you can and utilizing them to their fullest extent. Love that. Another thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is you've had, we've kind of had this dialogue uh, back and forth about how you've been considering classifying the business as an official nonprofit. And it sounds like something that may, may or not be in the cards eventually still. I know you've had a little bit of a journey looking into that. Could you talk a little bit about like what led you to consider that in the first place? What maybe some of the, the pros and cons of looking into it were and like what that looks like so far? 
Right. And I'll give the quick disclaimer <laughs> that none of this is legal advice. Right. I'm definitely not giving any legal advice here. I'm not qualified to do that. But um, I came from zero business background at all. Even in college right now, I'm just doing the pre-med stuff, all of that. But, um, you know, especially in high school, I had no knowledge of this. So I think the first thing I thought when someone was like, well, what are you going to do about liability? What are you going to do about insurance and get, about getting a permit? I was like, okay, let me take a second here. Let me think about this because these are all really valid concerns. So I did probably like the best thing ever was I just went on my computer that night. I was 17 years old and I just typed in, I'm like, how do you start an LLC? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about 501 nonprofits or anything at that point, but I just knew an LLC. I just heard from people like, okay, that's a good way to make sure that you're not the one liable for everything. So, and it's also something that you needed in order to get an insurance and a, a permit mm-hmm. and everything like that. So, you know, and I watched- And to kind of collect money to use for business in an official capacity right. for tax purposes, that right. kind of stuff. Exactly. And so I had no clue about it. And when I did the Google search, I think I watched first was like a five minute video on what even an LLC is. Cause I had no clue. I didn't even know what the acronym stood for. And then after that, I just went on like a rabbit hole of Google video watching. And, you know, eventually I just somehow saw the screen. It was like, thank you for submitting your request <laughs> to be an LLC. And so, you know, that was how I did that, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of better ways to go about doing that. But for someone who was just like 17 at the time, I give myself a break. But I would say for anyone wanting to go start a nonprofit, I would maybe look into other routes because when I had the LLC and I was kind of looking into, okay, how can I make this a 501 nonprofit? It's a lot of um, things to like obstacles to overcome in order to take it from specifically being an LLC to a nonprofit. Because when you look at the legal form to apply to be a 501, one of the questions, there's like 30 questions or something on there. One of the questions specifically states, is this already an LLC? Mm. So if it is, you kind of need to like, um, it's a little difficult to prove. Kind of need to like get rid of the LLC you currently have from my understanding. Again, this is not like professional advice and then just like start a new a new thing. Like gotcha. Interesting. Which is difficult when you've already got like a an event that's going on. I guess you would have to kind of just like figure out everything that needs to be done and then do it before like before planning the next one or something. Right. I would say probably if you're trying to start a nonprofit or a nonprofit event, maybe like give yourself more than three weeks from yeah. having the idea to putting it into action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe, you know, talk to some people who have advice in the field at first. And since then, you know, I've obviously gotten a little bit better in planning and reaching out to people who have more experiences. But to think back then, the, like my whole network was just other high school students, yeah. really. And then I had my one boss. And that was basically it. So there's definitely better ways to go about. And the LLC is working for me right now because I'm more of like a local community-based nonprofit event. But I guess I would say if you're trying to make a nonprofit that you want to take to the national level or something like that, you definitely want to make sure that you're doing it right, especially if you're going to be bringing in an amount of money that might be a concern, which we're not really doing. So. Right. Yeah. It's more just like making sure that the event can run properly. Exactly. One thing we talked about off air a little bit is just all the networking behind this and how right. you've had things that have worked, things that, that haven't. What are some challenges that you had kind of teaching yourself how to network and, and how have you continued to refine your networking and improve on that? So as I said before, you know, going into it, um, I wasn't really sure how to network. That's not something they teach you too much how to do in high school, right? 
so it's more of an art than a science too. Exactly. I would say. And I think you, a lot of it comes with experience and finding out what works and all that stuff. But I would say one of the most important things to do when you're networking, especially with like local businesses that you're going in in person and asking to speak to whoever's running it. And, you know, you're taking some of their time and their time is just as precious as yours, probably even more of their like on shift, you know, all that stuff. Um, so you go in there and you ask them for their time and, you know, they're generously giving you your, their time. So you need to make sure that in that small piece of time that you have, you're making the most of it. And when you go in and you're asking for help, whether that's, you know, if you have a business, maybe and you're trying to get investors or if you have a nonprofit and you're looking for people or businesses to sponsor that, they want to say, OK, who is this person? Why should I give them my hard earned money or my hard earned resources? And are they reliable? Are they trustworthy? So you need to tell your story in a very concise way that shows, hey, I'm reliable. I want to make this happen. This is my purpose. It's my plan. And this is how you can help if you're interested. So we were talking a little bit about just kind of story, different stories you've had, like things you've tried with networking. We were talking a little bit off air about this uh, video presentation thing that you did. Could you tell that story? Right. So there was this one company that worked really well with me the first year. They were able to give T-shirts and goodies for the kids and some funds, too. Um, when I came back to them for the second year, it was under complete different management. It's like someone new, not from the state or anything else like that. So they had no clue what I was about or what this even surfing the gap was. So I came in and I was like, hey, could I talk to the person who was in charge before? And I asked for them and by their name and everything. And they're like, oh, yeah, they don't work here anymore. This is who's in charge now. I'm like, oh, can I speak to them? They're like, well, they're busy, but maybe come back tomorrow and maybe like with a presentation show them. I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, like a presentation, yeah. So I was like, how do I convey all what I'm about and what this nonprofit's about to someone who's not from here? And so I met with this person the next day, and he was very nice. You know, he was giving me some of his time. We sat down at one of the tables because it was in a restaurant, right? And um, I pulled out my laptop and the presentation that I made within 24 hours. And it was just like a quick little PowerPoint about like, okay, this is who I am, this is what I've been doing, and this is going to be our event for this year. And at the end, I was like, how do I really tie it all together and show this person, like, the true essence of what this is all about? And I was like, well, you know, the best way to do that is through showing real-life examples. So... I took some little bits of footage from the last event of kids surfing and you could just like see their smile and see how enthusiastic they were and I threw them in a little video together you know with some like upbeat music and everything like that and at the end of the presentation you know that was just a few PowerPoint slides and words on the PowerPoint slides and me talking um, I just played that video and I honestly think that's what sold it because this person didn't really know anything about surfing or about the event but just at the end it doesn't really matter your background but if you can see like okay this is bringing joy to these kids and this is an overall good thing for the community I think that can really like tie your whole pitch together and get someone to be like yeah I'm on board with this I want to help and I want to contribute to this community so that new manager of that business he was really generous. He gave us all the t-shirts that we needed for the event with the logos on them and everything like that and um, really helped with the event. So I was very thankful for him and for him giving me some of his time because I knew that he was um, new to that place and, you know, he was like working. He was helping out behind the scenes with everything there. So just for him to sit down with me and give me that time to share my story and to share what this whole thing was about and just give him a, like a little, little taste of what good he's going to be doing for the community. I think that really helped, but probably going into it with the future, I'd want to have a little bit more time to prepare a presentation because, you know, I was just there. I showed up. I'm like, hi, 
you don't know me, introduce myself, set the laptop up on the table in the restaurant. And I was just like, all right, I guess we're doing a little presentation here, like noticing a little sales a, pitch. Noticing a common theme of like you having very small time frames to do things, like three weeks to throw the first event, <laughs> 24 hours to give a presentation. But seems like you'd figured out a way to make it work. Yeah, you just have to, you know, work well under pressure, I think. But sometimes that pressure is what really drives people to get things done. Because if you're thinking, you're like, oh, I have a deadline with anything, with school, with work, with, you know, a nonprofit. I have a deadline. It's not until a year from now. Well, you're not really motivated to get that done. There's like an optimal level of pressure that you need mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to get things rolling to be like, all right, I don't have time to sit around right now. Like, I need to get this done right now. So in a way, it can be helpful. So speaking of of giving yourself some pressure. We were talking a little bit off air about this thing that you tried where you kind of gave yourself a little bit of, I would say, almost like artificial pressure, the Elon Musk thing that you were telling me about. Could (laughs) you tell me about that challenge that you decided to try and how that went and what you learned from it? Yeah. So I saw this quote and it was on maybe an Instagram account or something online. I'm not really sure if Elon Musk actually said this, but it went something along the lines of, okay, take your 10-year goal and now figure out how to do that in six months. Wild. And (laughs) obviously, if you look at that and, you know, through a logical perspective, you're like, there's no way. But um, I did try that in one aspect of my life that was not related to the nonprofit, which was, I was like, I'm going to go to college for one year and then apply to medical school. That was a crazy idea, but I was like, wrote out what I need to do, how I need to do it to get it done in one year. And I found out that that was not a very doable thing. It almost got done. I was very close to it. But at the end of the day, you know, um, everything in my life wasn't super in balance. So if you need something that's sustainable, you need to make goals that also incorporate things like having a social life, you know, and having some time for your peace and mind to relax. So now what I can do is I still have the same amount of productivity that I did. And all that work that I did that was not very in my balanced life, you know, it still gave me a good framework and foundation to build off of now. So even though I did not accomplish my goal, I am a lot more ahead of just accepting like, okay, it's going to take this amount a long time, right? And the rest of that quote was actually, you know, take your 10-year plan, make it in six months, that's your goal. And you're probably going to fail, but you're going to be a lot more ahead of anyone who just simply accepted it was going to take 10 years to reach that goal. And so now I find that it's really important on weekends to do stuff that, you know, like recharges me for the week coming up so I can be as productive as I can in like that Monday through Friday time period and work a little on the weekends, but mostly do things to recharge your soul, like fill you up with good stuff. So like hanging out with family, surfing, sometimes I do yoga, um, going to church, cooking, just things like that. Because there is, you know, you want to try to be working as hard as you can and, you know, you hit that entrepreneurial mindset, right? And you're just like, you know, like no room for the week we got to go 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 but in reality you are human and you do need some time to recharge and relax so that's something that you know I'm still learning but definitely getting better at (laughs) and I think that's a great point a lot of people that are very driven towards a particular goal especially if you have a really good idea of what you want to be doing can fall into that trap of like getting so attached to working all the time and I've fallen into that trap myself but what you end up finding is that you just a lot of times you end up spinning your wheels and like you're, exactly. you, you get to a certain point where you're kind of burnt out and you're really not productive. Like you were kind of alluding out there, you're just not really productive anymore because you haven't given yourself time to recharge. And it is so yeah. important to recharge. Yeah, I think you put that perfectly. Like even now, you know, um, 
I usually take some time off on the weekends, whether that's one day or, you know, the whole weekend to recharge. But I still probably get the same amount done in a full week. It's just like if you give give yourself some time to recharge, right, then, you know, the time that you are working, you can be making sure it's as effective as it can be. So you can still get the same amount of stuff done, but also give yourself time to like, okay, you know, get back to homeostasis, like make sure everything's all right. Have some balance, yeah. If there was going to be a Forbes article written, about you and about what you've done with serving with the gap what would you want the the headline to read and what would you want the article to be about wow that's a really good question <laughs> um I don't know exactly I'm not like great with words or anything but I'd want the headline to be something about giving back to the community because I feel like a lot of things with Forbes it's really like you know I'm not a business major or anything but I think it's more like okay people who really built themselves up increase their net worth everything like that Um, But this is kind of a side hustle that's not really like making any money for me or anything like that. It's just something that's like kind of feeding my soul because, you know, doing good for other people, that's something that never goes old. So I want the headline to read something along the lines of like giving back to community because that's what we're all about. And then, you know, just like the general basis of the article, kind of talking about another kind of wealth instead of just financial wealth, kind of being that like personal intrinsic, you know, motivation that you get to do something that's apart from money because, you know, money is something that you need obviously you know but if you base all of your goals only on money eventually you'll hit some type of wall or some type of burnout where you're not getting as much satisfaction from that so no matter what you do you need to make sure that you have something that can make you be like you know I feel like this is what's filling me up with good you know it's something that you can be proud of and a lot of times when you give back to other people or you can see that you're making a positive influence in someone else's life that will feed your intrinsic motivation you know because everything can't be extrinsic all the time. I love that. And um, another question I have for you is kind of just getting back into like what you're talking about. What is what is the one thing kind of getting specific here that you hope to give back to the industry that you're operating in? What is, like if you could kind of qualify what that thing is, what is the the biggest thing that you're trying to give back? All right, yeah, I would say simply just sharing the stoke. So the surfing community is one of the, my favorite communities, you know, ever, because everyone you meet just is like rooting for you. They want to help you. They want to see you succeed. It's really laid back and chill. There's not really like any enemies or anything like that. So there's so many people in the surfing community that have helped me, you know, throughout my life, just being there for me, being like, hey, let's take a break. Let's go surf. Let's talk things through, you know, and just kind of like a second family almost. So when you can like have, you know, kids try surfing who maybe wouldn't have tried surfing before, you're kind of adding more people to the surf community because there's very few kids who after that first wave are like, all right, I'm done. I hate surfing. There's a few, okay? But I would say most of them, even if they went in with the mindset, like, I'm not going to want to do this. My mom's making me do this. I'm scared. Afterwards, they're like, heck yeah, like, let's go surfing more. Let's get a surfboard for Christmas. They're like, their parents will ask me, where can I sign them up for surf lessons? Like, everything like that. So I would say giving back to the community in that aspect, I'd want to just, like, contribute another, like, younger generation of surfers and maybe now including kids who have some neurodiversities and using surfing as a way to kind of deal with those different challenges that having a neurodiversity or a special need would bring up. The biggest thing that stood out when you were describing it before that I loved hearing so much is just about how much it got those people out of their shells where like there hadn't been something that did that before. I think that's that's a tough thing to do. And I I think just having a way to to really do that regularly is really awesome and 
bring bring a new hobby to someone's life like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think like, you know, it doesn't have to be surfing. It could be like really any sport, but I feel surfing in the community is really great for this, especially. But some of these kids, you know, maybe they have challenges with learning or challenges with their confidence or their skill level. And when you create a little environment, you know, even if it's one day a year where they can kind of like kid network with other kids, you know, build friendships um, with kids who maybe think similarly to them, then it gives them the confidence to be like, all right, you know, everyone here, you know, is trying this out for the first time. We're all going to try our best. Then they get out there and catch a wave. They're having fun. The kid next to them is having fun. Like the volunteers are all like, woo, yeah, like you got this. Um, they get just like really hyped up into it and it becomes an outlet for them maybe because like school might be a little bit harder or maybe their family or life is not as great at home or anything like that. Surfing for them, I think for a lot of the kids has become an outlet to kind of, you know, let go of some of the stresses of life, which is really like what I had intended it to do was to give them a little bit of that surfing passion and like this is a way that it can benefit your life. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Another question, just totally different note here. What is the most prevailing thought and most consistent thought that you have about your career right now? Like, what's the thought that comes up the most? About, um, like, my professional career or, like, my career with this nonprofit? Everything holistically together because just kind of, like, tying it all in. Well, I would say definitely, even when I was, like, really young, you know, um, I get I get along well with two groups really well. Um, like, the older generation, you know, like, maybe those when I volunteer in nursing homes, and also with kids. Like, even now that I'm 20, I feel like mentally I'm always either in, like, 12-year-old mode or, like, 80-year-old mode. Like, there's no <laughs> in-between. And so I think when you can relate to people and meet them where they are in their lives, they'll make you better in any aspect of your career, like, whatever field you're going into. But for me, I want to go into medicine. So... I think that if I can work well with kids or, you know, with um, the older generation and kind of, you know, practice getting in the mindset of meeting people where they are, kids with neurodiversities, you know, and, you know, getting on the same level as them, that can really help with your communication skills and also knowing what would work effectively for that person when you're trying to help them. That's awesome. I've got a couple repeat questions I ask in every interview to kind of Mm -hmm. tie everything together. You've gone through some pretty major experiences and and learned a lot from what we've been talking about. So the first question I have for you is if you could go just back in time to when you were first kind of having the idea of surfing the gap and getting everything started and just talk to a younger Jasmine about like, like the things that you've learned, the wisdom that you've gained, the knowledge that you have now and tell her a few things to do differently. What are a couple things you would tell her to do differently? Well, the first thing I would definitely tell her is take more breaks, slow down a minute. Um, on the first one, I was in a time a time crunch because of mm-hmm. the senior project. There's deadlines and everything. But I would say, you know, it's okay to take breaks and it's okay to ask for help. I had a hard time delegating tasks. And, you know, you're obviously doing a lot of things in your life, like you have yeah. your school work and your podcast. So I bet that for you, you want everything up to your certain standard. And you're like, okay, I'm the only one that can achieve this. But in reality, it is important to delegate out tasks and ask for help when you need it. And a lot of people are really willing to help you. All you need to do is ask. I love that. Quick little tangent here on the delegation. I always love to talk about delegation because it's such a challenge for business owners, but for everyone, any any kind of professional that has to figure out how to delegate. What have been the biggest challenge? You kind of hinted at like some of the challenges there. For you personally, what has been your journey with figuring out how to delegate and what does that look like for you? 
Well, I think that I've always been kind of a perfectionist. You know, it's like a blessing and a curse. Um, But a little bit of that would just be like, especially people, you know, who are like really close friends or family who are like, hey, you know, you're stressed. Is there anything I could help with? I would automatically always be like, no, it's okay. I got it because in my head, I'm like, I need to do this. Like, I'm the only one who knows what needs to be done and everything like that. But in reality, it's better to just take some time and, you know, talk to those people. They really do want to help you, you know. Sometimes they're the people that you're in classes with or you're working with or anything like that. And they can, you know, add valuable insight that maybe even makes it better than what you originally had in mind. So, for example, the second time I was throwing Save the Gap, that was probably the biggest one. And I was really stressed out. I had a lot of things doing. And for some reason, I couldn't get the website back that I made the first time. So I had to make a new website. And I was in my head like, all right, I'm not great at technology, but I had to do this and I was stressing out. And the guy that I was dating at the time was like, hey, let me help you with this. And so that was my first step in kind of just like being like, oh, okay, here you go. And he did an amazing job. And then, you know, even my mom, you know, (laughs) like typical moms, they always like want to be there for you and want to help you. And they don't like to see you when you're stressed out. And so my mom was like, is there anything I could do to help? And I was at first, you know, the first year I was doing, I'm like, no, I need to just do everything. But the second year I was like, you know what, like actually, could you reach out to these people for me? Like, I know you know them, or could you be asking around for this or maybe hand out flyers to people you know and she did an amazing job also helping connect me with different people in the community that I would have never got if I was just like you know I need to just do everything by myself so definitely people are offering to help you and they really care about you and caring about seeing you succeed then I would say just let them I mean you know it's okay to give off a little bit of that control sometimes and let other people take the reins on a few things be willing and ready to accept help when needed mm-hmm. love it the other repeat question I have for you, because the show is called Profession Session, and I'd like to approach everything through the lens of professionalism, right? Kind of talk about how different professions look. And I, I love doing that because there are so many unique approaches on a profession, and especially like what we've talked about today. It's a very niche, different, new kind of thing that you've done with Surfing the Gap. Um, and I would call you a professional for the way that you've approached it. Thank you. <laughs> but absolutely. And um and it's a it's a very unique thing. So my question to you is what does it mean to you personally to be a professional? To be a professional, I think, of like versus an amateur or something like that would be following up on what you say you're gonna do. Cause there's one thing between, you know, sitting back and being like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. I feel like that's kind of a very amateur way to go about things. But when you think back and you're like, okay, I wanna do this, then you're like, what's the next step in this like goal? Like, how do I go about making this plan? And then pursuing that, that's what makes you a professional. And also I think a good professional mindset thing to have a lot of really successful people I've noticed when they are just with a problem, because you're going to run into problems, you're going to fail, you know, roadblocks are going to come ahead, instead of just being like, okay, well, I'm done here today, right? Um, being like, okay, take a minute and being like, that was a setback, but what makes you professional is being like, okay, how do I fix this now? And how do I, you know, overcome this? What do I do next to, you know, correct my errors? And that's how you really advance in your career, or advance, you know, in being professional. Love that. Well, Jasmine, anything else you would want to kind of share or go over? Um, not that I can think of, but thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thank you for being on. This has been truly awesome. It's um, it's really inspiring what you're doing. And I just, I hope to see you continue growing that event because I think it's just, it's giving back to the community in a really unique way that I, I've never heard of anything like it before. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Any ways that people can find you, businesses can find you, what's the best way to find you and get in touch with you if you want to get involved with the event? 
Um, I would say through our Instagram, it's at surfing the gap, all one word. And on there we have in our bio um, the website where, you know, if you wanted to submit waivers to participate or volunteer, and there's also my email on that website. If you would have any inquiries about anything, I would say definitely check out the Instagram. Awesome. And I'll make sure there's links to everything in the description or the, uh, the show notes if you're listening on audio or watching on video.